Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today we're going to talk about the power of Latino voters and some perils to the Latino community. Our guest is Jacqueline Martinez Garcel, and she's the CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. That organization has funded a lot of the current polling that's out in the presidential race and is helping community groups prepare for the all-important 2020 census. That polling, though, has turned up some disturbing trends, like how nearly 8 in 10 California Latinos are concerned about racism against them and the power of white supremacists. And do you know who the most popular presidential candidate is among California Latino voters? Bernie Sanders. The answer as to why that is will come during my conversation with Jacqueline Martinez Garcel, which starts right now. Jacqueline Martinez Garcel, welcome to It's All Political. I would say welcome to the city of St. Francis, but you work here and you, you live in the East Bay, right? It's been four years since I moved here yeah. from New York City, Joe, for, but thank you for the welcome. I was going to say you were a native New Yorker, which will become very evident, I'm sure, in a I'm few minutes. Some, at some point during this conversation, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of stuff to talk about. You're the CEO of the Latino Community Foundation, and your organization has commissioned a lot of polling of Latinos in California. And you've uh, just received questionnaires from some of the presidential candidates. Your organization's putting a lot of time and resources into making sure the 2020 census is legit. So there's a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we're recording this right now, there is a chance that the debate won't happen, the presidential debate on Thursday here mm -hmm. in California, Los Angeles, for because of a labor dispute. But if it does, there will be only one non-white person on stage there. That's Andrew Yang. What message does that send to Latino voters? Well, we started off pretty strong when we saw the first debate with a pretty good uh, platform of candidates that represent the demographics of our country. I think that there was excitement all around in that finally we saw folks who represent the changing, shifting demographics of our country. Heading into this last one uh, for the 2019 uh, year, it's a little depressing to see that we went from such a diverse group of candidates to now just having one person of color beyond that. Now, the message it sends to Latinos is that uh, we have to push harder, right? The onus is not just on us, but to elevate our voice and our demand of what we want to see for our country is up to us. Um, and while it will be depressing, I think it also sends a message to some of our younger people to uh, get out there and not just vote, but consider running for office locally. Do you think uh, do you think it will depress votes, uh, depress uh, interest the in The number voting? of votes. Yeah. So we, along with other groups like Voto Latino, uh, Mi Familia Vota, are working really hard to ensure that that does not happen. We cannot afford to see a decrease in votes uh, for this presidential election. We want to ride the wave that we saw in 2018, which is a historic turnout across the country and here in California of Latinos turning out to vote. There's a lot at stake right now. Um, this is not just a personality context, not just about the candidates that are running. Um, it's about the issues that are at hand. And so we want to remain focused on that and ensure the numbers don't go down. That Castro uh, is not going to be on the stage. It may or may not affect how some folks feel because they were feeling pretty good at the fact that we had the first candidate, Latino candidate running for president. This is You told me the other day when we were talking about another story um, that media coverage is not always equal. Uh, it may be in mentions, or, 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 but it's not in terms of the quality. And you use the example, 
You frequently hear commentators say that Pete Buttigieg, the white mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's been climbing the poles in Iowa, has an undergraduate degree from Harvard. Mm -hmm. But you rarely hear that Julian Castro graduated from Harvard Law School after receiving a degree from Stanford, or that Castro was the mayor of San Antonio, which is the nation's seventh largest city, the population of 1.5 million, which is about 1.4 million more than South Bend, where where uh, uh, Buttigieg is the mayor of. What's what's the effect of that? What's, and it's true of Cory Booker, right? Who also yeah. went to Ivy League schools. It you know it's not just about how Latinos feel about this, about how all America feels about the qualifications of these candidates. And if you compare resumes and you compare educational and experience, then we should be highlighting uh, the the strong points of all of our candidates, and not just focus on the one that. Uh, not just focus on Latinos because they're Latinos. They have a lot to offer, and the experience that they bring to bear is worth the same amount of attention that some of the non-white Latino candidates get. So you guys, <clears throat> you guys, meaning the foundation, uh, funded polling from Latino Decisions, which is a nonpartisan group that does a lot of polling for, for many, many years. And in California, the candidate with the highest approval rating, according to your poll, is Bernie Sanders. Yeah, well, drum roll, please. Drum roll. <laughs> well, we, well, maybe we'll drop a drum roll in there later. Yeah. Sixty-five uh, percent, <laughs> followed by Biden, Castro, Warren, is forty-six percent. Mm-hmm. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Bernie's a, a seventy-eight-year-old white Jewish guy from Brooklyn. Well, how is he? Well, why does he get the biggest yeah. approval rating? So him? we were pretty surprised at the results, in part because, um, well, we were just surprised. Let me just leave it at that. Uh, this shows really the amount of work that's been put in from Sanders' campaign staff, right? So they have spent enormous amount of money and staff time in communities where Latinos make up a majority. So they spent time in Fresno, Merced, Orange County, in places where Latinos make up one out of three folks who live there, one out of two. And they are doing their work in listening, talking to young Latino voters. Really important here. So 60% of all Latinos in the country are 34 or younger, right? So here in California, medium age is closer to 24, 25. That's really important. So it's not just Latinos writ large, but who is actually talking to these young voters who are going to be all of the first time voters this come this coming election. And they're doing their homework. And it showed in the polls. We oversampled Latino millennials because we wanted to see, are they paying attention? Are they listening? Who are they paying attention to? When we went back and saw the results, we did our homework and saw where have these candidates spend the most amount of their time and who are they talking to during this process? So we can't, you know, say it's a right an attribution, right? Contribution, attribution. But we do know that it's a reflection of the amount of time, energy, and money has been invested in engaging this population. And why do you think uh, Castro hasn't caught on, or or Buttigieg, really, for that matter? Yeah. So on the on the Castro piece, I think that there can't speak for him and his in his and his team. But we can't assume that just because we have a, a Latino surname that people are going to affiliate or associate with us, right? I think that uh, more work needed to be done from that camp to really engage and listen and be a part of. I mean, so he's done some tremendous things in the sense of going to to prisons and and talking to prisoners, where, where the issues that our community cares about is coming up, right? Surfacing right. how and who he's talking to. However, there might have been too much of an assumption that because it's a last name that we will know. No, mm-hmm. uh, not enough work was really put into it. And there's the issue of money, 
right? So right. not every candidate has the same amount of money and staffing to be able to go deeply into our communities and talk to people. Uh, Pete Buttigieg has plenty of money, uh, but he is not well, uh, cut on me, Yeah, that's a good one. So you asked me both Castro and Pete. Um, I, you know, he does great in, in places where he reflects uh, the demographics. I mean, in Iowa, I think that that's um, pretty significant, you know, the turnout that'll come to support him. Uh White educated voters, you know, uh, connect with him, uh, and he does a really good job in connecting with them. Now he spent some time in South Carolina, I think it was recently, yes. trying to engage the African American voters. Should happen earlier and sooner, yeah. right? So this is not just about the Latino vote; it's also just people of color in general mm-hmm. who are critical to our electorate here in our country. And how about Warren? She also kind of has middling uh, numbers in terms yeah. of approval ratings and connection. Again, I mean, it's a it's a missed opportunity when candidates. This is why our questionnaire, which I'm sure you'll ask me some questions on in yeah. a sec, but this this is why the questionnaire was so important. You can put out strong policies, but if you can't uh, d- translate in how that that those policy solutions will impact the Latino community, it's not going to resonate, right? So you can say Medicare for all, but what does that mean for me as a you know sixty year sixty eight year old grandmother who's raising my family because my you know I, I'm taking care of my kids. What does it have to do with me in my life, right? There isn't that narrative built into how these candidates talk about these policies. So it's too wonky about too it? wonky. It's too mainstream, right? In the sense of it carries that. Um, it, we, we need to angle it so that people of color see themselves and hear their stories in how these policy solutions come out. And the, the polling you guys have done uh, says that the issue. Most important to Latino voters, healthcare number one, followed by affordable housing and improving wages and income. But part of that is because there's 2.9 million uninsured people in, in California, nearly three in five are Latino. And 11 billion undocumented and 11 who do not qualify. Right? Yes. So when we talk about healthcare, for example, I'm interrupted you before asking your question, but when oh, we talk about healthcare, it's so not New York just of you, by the way. It's so, so New York of you. I, know, I get in trouble for it all the time <laughs> out here. People tell me to be and nice I'm Italian. Here. I believe me. I live in. A, I've grown up in a world of constant interruption. <laughs> Just really engaged yes, yes. with your conversation. This is Joe. wonderful. That's all right. Um, you know, when you talk about healthcare, and you don't mention the fact that undocumented folks are not eligible for Medicare, like it just you know just tune you tune out, right? Like, what about this larger group of folks? who are not just Latinos, there are non-Latinos that are undocumented as well. How does it relate to me, right? Mm-hmm. I may not be able to vote, but most families that have undocumented family members have people who can vote. <clears throat> and so I'm just waiting to hear what a candidate is going to say about it. So what did some of the candidates, you, you were hot off the presses, yes. are the responses, yeah. you've got responses from a handful of candidates yes, so far. five candidates so and, far. And uh, to your questionnaire that, that went out. What has jumped out at you about those responses? So without so mentioning who responded, right, the third, in terms of the two names that were mentioned undocumented, the only two out of the five respondents talked about uh, health care as it relates to undocumented. Really? They mentioned Medicare, right? And they mentioned uh, one candidate talked about mental health, investing more in mental health, which is critical for our communities. Um, but just getting into the weeds of well, how are we going to get to the place where all all taxpayers, right, including undocumented folks, have access to health Because they do pay taxes. They do pay taxes, that's correct. Um, but you said that's, they have, They didn't even mention that. Two not all, not, not all, all five of them, of them right? Yeah. yeah. What, what message is that saying? Again, it's uh, what's, uh, 
immigration right now, while it's not the, the it, top issue for Latino voters right now, it's still on everyone's mind because of the current political context that we're living in right now. Um, it's not just about creating a pathway to citizenship, which, by the way, all the candidates who responded to this questionnaire said they 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 support. But is once in in the meantime, what are we doing to make sure that folks are um, have access to health care, that they are not living um, in dire conditions, and that those who are working, many of them employed in the farm working industry, in hospitality, and in in domestic work, uh, again who pay taxes, yet barely make a living, right, to support their families. Like while we figure out the path to citizenship, what are we doing as a country to make sure that the voices and the work that these folks provide is seen, supported, and, and part of the policy solutions that we're seeing back? We'll have more of my conversation with Jacqueline Martinez Garcel after a short break. And now here's more of my conversation with Jacqueline Martinez Garcel. One of the, the really disturbing things in, in some of the survey work uh, your organization's done was that it found that um, one, well, the high point is 74% of registered Latino votes, yes, uh, that's registered Latino voters plan to vote in the March 3rd California primary. Yeah. But eight in 10 believe white supremacist groups pose a threat to the country. Um, and and we were, I think we were talking earlier about this. This goes back. This is a reflection of uh, Prop 187 here right. in California right. in 1994. What is the what is what's going on? What is the, what's below those numbers? So that and you said it perfectly, right? So the big headline here is that close to you know seven more closest, yeah, seven out of ten are going to turn out in March third. Latinos across California, and we've heard this not just through the results of the poll, um, but through all the organizations that we fund when we host retreats in Inland Empire and Central Valley, are living a reality right now that most people are just not aware of. Um, we have organizations um, in Riverside and Coachella that get death threats, uh, their leaders, their family members, because they provide services to um undocumented folks, and because they also provide citizenship classes, right? And so there is a rising tide. We know this close to seven, a 17% increase in the state of California of hate crimes, mm -hmm. but those are reported. There is a number much higher than that goes unreported that's targeting communities, um, Latinos and communities in color in general in California um, that is affecting, there's just real fear right now. But that fear is being translated into engagement, which is what we're thankful for. The silver lining in all of this is that people are not just hiding in the shadows, but the midterm elections showed that they're using this opportunity to uh, get out and vote. Um, that young people in the Central Valley, there was an increase of 258% increase um, in places like Fresno in the 2018 midterm election shows that um, while the fear is real, and it's based on what is happening, it is not stopping people from getting civically engaged. And to your point, 25 years, Prop 187, right? We saw a, t a rising tide of people getting involved civically voting, running for office 25 years ago, we're seeing that trend again now. And we're hopeful that it's going to ride a longer wave than it did mm. back in 94, 98, 94. 94, 94, yes. Um, one more question about, you know, we're going to have this, hopefully have this debate this uh, this week. 
we haven't heard a lot about housing, which is a which is a yes. huge issue yeah. that turned up in your survey. Sixty one percent of uh, Latinos in California face high rental costs, according to your survey, and only forty two percent of Latinos own homes compared to sixty four percent of of white folks. Yeah. What should what should the candidates be talking about yes. in terms of housing issues in California? Joe, thank you for asking the question. So when we saw the results for the questionnaire, we're like, okay, you know, four out of the five mentioned uh, renter control and 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 uh, just capping it and more affordable housing uh, units being built. But the reality is that this isn't just an issue for renters. Yes, a majority of Latinos are renters, but the real problem here is that we don't have a pathway for people who rent right now to actually own their homes. Mm -hmm. And that also affects when we look at the economy, right? So often people talk about um, economic mobility and and just talk about income, right? So in our questionnaire, the question of economic mobility, that they focus on the the $15 minimum wage. But this is really about wealth assets, right? So recent uh, study done by the California Latino Economic Institute uh, mentioned uh, that uh, medium uh, wealth is about 6,400. I'm not quoting the exact number, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's in that range. <clears throat> For non-Latinos, it's 140,000. 64, your, your total wealth of a, a Latino person in California assets. is assets. Correct. Total wealth. Yes. Everything you have as in terms of your wealth portfolio, $6,400. I thought there was a mistake in the number when they yeah. actually published it. Like, there must be a zero missing in right. this. And that was the point, is that it the, the gap, between these numbers is so enormous. And so by just focusing on just, when we talk about housing and just focusing on renter, we miss the bigger picture. Mm. That Latinos have been here in this country for centuries, right? They've been part of the backbone of our economy here in California and across the country. Yet the building of wealth has not happened. So when we talk about an inclusive economy where Latinos are prospering, owning your home is one of the most important assets, right? That you can have. Mm-hmm. And the candidates need to talk about that. And so while we saw their responses, we felt like you missed something in all of this, right? What what more should we be talking about when it comes to housing? It is about owning it, not just about renter's cap and about more affordable housing. We're not going to break the poverty cycle by just getting people into more affordable housing. <clears throat> the other thing that uh, your organization is doing that's very important next year is the census. And uh, I don't know if you saw that New York Times story the other day, and I, I will give them a, a big plug on this one because this is a very uh, a frightening story. Uh, California is spending $187 million to make sure there's an accurate count in terms of outreach, getting trying to get involved in different communities. 24 states, including Texas. Texas, one of the nation's most diverse states, is not spending a penny, yeah. nothing to do that. And for partisan, uh, if you're for those keeping partisan score at home, 17 of those 24 states are led by Republican governors and legislatures, including Texas, Florida, and Ohio, according to the New York Times. Mm-hmm. What is the effect of that? Uh, it, not spending, uh, first of all, do you think California is spending enough? So the effect on it really is about our democracy. The census is a cornerstone to our democracy. And these states are letting go of an opportunity um, that comes once every 10 years mm-hmm. to capture what our demographics look like in order to plan prepare, budget, uh, bring in resources that will carry the state forward, right? So it, this is, it's a missed opportunity for our democracy for them not to be investing it. Is California investing enough? Um, they're, in, they're leading the way. Uh, they can be doing more in how, we, in how we use those dollars that have already been allocated towards the census. So um, 
not much has been said recently about are we using money to invest in ethnic media, for example? Are we using those funds? Uh, I mean, the Latino Community Foundation is a recipient of a state grant to be a hub, along with four or five other organizations to do outreach for Latino community. We should be doing more. For example, uh, having uh, IT support in places where there is no Wi-Fi connectivity, right? Like the divide is real in our state. When you, As part of the census? As part of the census. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the first time it's going to be online, mm. right? What It's not just the fear of being like what that... The, the citizenship question was one of the concerns, but we didn't yes. also pay enough attention to the fact that it's the first online census and we have a real digital divide in our country that affects mostly communities of color, right? So in the state of California, we should be investing more in that infrastructure leading up to the census. And we should be doing more in making sure that all media outlets, including ethnic media, have the resources they need to engage the population to make sure they fill out the census. So we have good dollars allocated. The question is, how will they be used? And yes, there's room to do more. And your organization, you you zero in on small community groups, groups where, uh, I mean, you've connected me with some of them uh, in, in, um, in Far Brentwood, East and Brentwood, yeah. you know, where that are that have been longtime parts of the community. Yes. They they're yes. trusted operations. Yes. Tell me about the the type of organizations yeah, so you invest our, in that will help in the sense. The majority of our organizations have budgets of less than a million. So these aren't those uh, big orgs that a lot of the larger national foundations fund. Um, we have strong Latino-led organizations like Unidos, for example, Voto Latino. But it's these grassroots organizations that I mentioned earlier that are, you know, in Riverside, Coachella, Fresno, Merced, Bakersfield. I mean, the Dolores Vuelta Foundation is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Big name, big historic, like, uh, uh, reputational capital who she is. But their budget doesn't reflect really what they're capable of doing. I mean, these are visionaries in their community that are incredible entrepreneurs, in my opinion, because they have a half a million dollar budget. And the way they use those resources to engage five and 10,000 families is incredible. We invest in them because they have the trust of the community, Mm -hmm. right? So we know that when they're out there talking to family members about filling out the census, it's like a family member speaking to them, right? So right now, Mm -hmm. half my team is in Sonoma meeting with 10 organizations out there, uh, Corazon, Hillsburg, La Luz, and Sonoma, to talk about the 2020 census, to plan ahead, because in all the fires and all the displacement that has happened, these are the organizations that still know where these families are located because they've been displaced. How do we ensure that in this recovery period, they also don't get lost in preparation for voting and the census, right? So that is why we think it's really important that we have a strong network of Latino-led organizations that are the ones handing information, the ones that are holding communities together, the ones that keep their doors open over the weekend when there is a fire, right? Because the American Red Cross doesn't have enough bilingual staff to support them. These are the organizations that stand with groups when no one else is around. What's your biggest fear about the census? The turnout is not. uh, My biggest fear is that the turnout is not what it needs to be right now. Um. This census is really an act of resistance for our community. Hmm. A lot has been done to uh, create a sense of fear since uh, this, the most recent presidential election took place, right? The whole campaign started by vilifying Latinos in this country. Since then, the census has been and politicized as a tool to create even more fear. By people standing up and responding 
is a way of saying, come for us, but we're still going to be seen, counted, and heard. So for all of our undocumented families out there, our message is, this is your opportunity to say that you will not back down and that you will be seen. Um, our resist to exist, right? And for us, in order to have a resistance in this country, we need to exist and our numbers need to reflect it. Um, in the last 10 years, we've seen a, a shift in our country and our demographic that's scary for some people. This census is going to even go more in that direction. And it's on us to make sure that we are counted. All right. Jacqueline, thank you for being on It's All Political. Joe, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Jacqueline for coming into San Francisco to be on the podcast. I'd like to thank the king, King Kaufman, and the great one, Karen Creighton, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you're feeling the power or the peril, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.